0: The Biscuit is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork dot
1: Divergent is a funny word. Oftentimes, it's seen as a negative. It's seen as breaking off from the hole or going in odd directions, directions that may lead nowhere. But sometimes that journey, taking that chance to actually possibly end up nowhere is what makes a huge difference. And that's what today's guest on the Creative Mornings Rewind knows all about. Josh Jacobson is the founder of Next Stage Consulting here in Charlotte. And whether you know it or not, he has actually touched your life. He has worked with almost every nonprofit in Charlotte, big, small in between organizations that have been doing their thing for decades in Charlotte or folks with a passion and a dream and a desire to help those around them who just got started. That's probably not where Josh thought he'd be when he started his career. Not long after graduating from college, he ended up working in New York with some of the biggest nonprofits in the world and he was doing well. But upon moving to Charlotte, he saw not only an opportunity, but a need to do things differently. He started to see social good in a way that others don't. That rather than charity or something that a business needs to do just because it's the right thing to do, he saw it as an opportunity to teach those who are passionate about social good and those in business to work together for mutual benefit. And that somewhere in nonprofits learning to function more like businesses and businesses learning to function and care more like nonprofits, both would be improved and both would be stabilized. And that's what he's devoted his time to. And now that he's further along in his career, he's starting to look at how his life has diverged as a branch on a tree that while it may have little wisps or other smaller branches that go off in other directions. It points towards a beautiful future. And he's focused not so much on the next stage of development, no pun intended, but at that bud at the end of the branch, because that bud reaches out to the sun and unfolds beautifully when the time is right. And that's what he wants for nonprofits and for businesses and for his own life. And that's exactly what we talk about today on this podcast. I'm Tim Miner, and I can't wait for you to get to know my friend, Josh Jacobson, just a little bit better. Josh, excited to have you on the after party for Creative Morning Charlotte.
0: Yeah, thanks for having me, and thanks for also the opportunity to to be a part of Creative Mornings. That was definitely a, a fun uh, conversation, and and what a what a great um, morning that was. I mean, so much so much rich and varied multicultural uh, presentations, and it just uh, it's was such a uh, joy to be a part of. Well,
1: I mean, we've we've known you for a long time. You've been a, a part of so much of what we've done, but I think that's. There are organizations across Charlotte corner to corner that can say that, you know, there are people that are listening to this podcast or are going to be reading uh, the article that go with it, that they they may not think they know you, but they they've felt your hand at work in the nonprofits and community organizations that are really making a change in Charlotte, not only in how they interact with the general public, but how they remain financially viable and we're going to get into all that business stuff. But I want to start with, you know, how did your career start? Because not only do you have a unique approach to what you do and to the consulting world, but getting into nonprofit period is not a path that the average parent or teacher or career counselor pushes a person in. How did you how did you find your
0: way in? Yeah, great question. And, you know, going back to uh, really until I started this company, um, you know, I, I largely worked only in uh, the the public sector in the form of nonprofits and, and government roles. So uh, unique to um, my life, my, my mother uh, is a librarian, was a librarian, she's still alive, but no longer a librarian, professionally retired. Uh, and uh, so I was a latchkey kid uh, who got off the bus and went to the library after school uh, and ended up working uh, in in high school uh, for a library so my first job in, in life was uh, working for uh, you know public library I thought about actually uh, potentially going after my uh, getting a master's of library science, becoming a librarian, there was a path. There's a, there's a version of in the multiverse, there's a version of Josh somewhere, somewhere. He's probably right not now.
1: wearing, he's, he's probably not driving the car that you're driving and wearing the clothes that you're wearing. Right. Right. Exactly.
0: Very different, very different. It <laughs> may, may have been a Josh in another city. You know, that's the reality of sort of how I arrived in Charlotte too, but, but definitely that idea of, you know, graduated college and went, uh, you know, what do I want to do with my life? And most of my sort of identity was wrapped up in um, in the, this experience of working in in government. So I'd worked uh, for a library. And during college, I went and worked for the public affairs office for Palm Beach County. So I was living in South Florida. Uh, and in fact, I worked, you know, just one floor below, you know, where all the hanging Chad controversy was just a, a few years later. So I, I was going in over the summers to work in what is effectively the PR office for county government in Palm Beach County. Uh, So that was a continuing internship, all three summers of of after freshman, sophomore, and junior year, I did a continuing internship with Palm Beach County government. So as I graduated, uh, you know, my thoughts were to stay in government, stay the path, Uh, got involved in uh, government relations uh, in Tallahassee, Florida, and uh, found that it was absolutely not the right thing for me. Politics was certainly not going to be a pathway for me. Now, talk about some of the, the the challenges of you know an off election year working in uh, the political sector. It means you're often kind of looking for who will pay us to to engage in you know lobbying essentially. Uh, and ended up doing some things I'm not real proud of, you know, working for issues that I didn't align with personally. It was really this trial, you know, as a 22, 23 year old. Um, what do I care about? What are my values? What what guiding principles are driving me? And, and and do I feel good waking up, you know, every morning to a job I didn't feel connected to anymore? So I would say I ran screaming to the arts, ran screaming to uh, social good. Uh, found my way into a another quasi-governmental organization, the cult- a cultural council, not unlike our arts and science council. Right? They're what are called <clears throat> local arts agencies or LAAs, and they're in counties across the country. Not all of them fundraise. or RASC is unique in that it does uh, fundraising, but most local arts agencies are kind of, you know, government really shouldn't have a role in um, deciding what's art, right? You know, we probably don't want our city council deciding what is uh, you know, appropriate art. So we deputize a, a a nonprofit organization to do that work. So I worked for that local arts agency. And really, the rest is, you know, sort of came from that, found where I could find my passion for social good and for the arts in particular, uh, married with this belief in the public institution. You know, I really believe in uh, in nonprofits, I believe in, uh, our, our government. I really believe that, um, these institutions are, are, uh, critical to, uh, creating what our, you know, Declaration of Independence and U S constitution, uh, set up for ourselves. So this is the land of the free home of the brave place where we can make a, make a life for yourself. Uh, the framework of what makes that possible, uh, is government and is not the nonprofit in uh, institutions? And so um, dedicated myself to it. And you know twenty years later are now finding myself at a new stage in in my life, but uh, having you know spent a couple decades basically trying to advance those uh, those principles,
1: you know, that's a perfect segue into my next question because, you've spent two decades in this work. Um, that's a surefire recipe in many cases for people just to get set in their ways, you know, to do it on year 20, the same way that they were taught to do it year one. And that's clearly not you. I mean, Matt, in full disclosure, Matt Olin and I and Charlotte as creative was kind of fortunate to be, well, let me back up. Not kind of fortunate. We were fortunate to be in the inaugural class of cultivate, which is a, a year long uh, system of meetings and and classes and coursework to help nonprofits, fledgling fledgling nonprofits and existing nonprofits figure out how to be sustainable. What's next, you know, and prepare for the future. And I remember two things that struck me on day one that we fall back on almost every day. That that you said was one is that you have a a belief that. That nonprofits um, should really lean hard into earned revenue and and to to work with the business community and not just also not just the uh, usual suspects to find companies that believe in social good, believe in what you're doing, but also can benefit from their relationship with you. That's very different then give me, you know, give me money, give me a donation because I'm doing good and I'm say so, and it's the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And then the second thing uh, is you hit us with a stat that, you know, there are thousands, I believe at this point, 4,000 or so nonprofits at work in Mecklenburg County alone, and a fractional percentage of them are fighting over the dollars and and winning the dollars that are there leaving what somewhere I believe around 90% just kind of scrabbling, right. For donations. And you offered a different path, which was to think of yourself a little bit more as a business and and align yourself um, less with government, right. And more with uh, and traditional funding methods and, and more with a, a earned revenue model. Where did that come from? At what point in your career? Cause you, you could very happily be making a living right now doing it the same way as you did when you started your career, what led
0: you in that direction? Well, really coming to Charlotte. So, uh, you know, I was I climbed the ladder of the cultural sector in New York City um, in my my 20s. So uh, after working in that L.A.A., that, that cultural council post nine eleven, found myself in New York and uh, was visiting and ran into a friend who worked at the Juilliard School who said they were hiring. And I took that as an invitation to to essentially stick my foot in that door and, and will my way into a role I never should have been hired for. I mean, it's just sort of ridiculous that this 24 year old living in Jacksonville, Florida, just, I look back at the resume I put together. It's just a ridiculous. The cover letter. But uh, that, that's the secret to success. Is,
1: I mean, that's it, too. It's like, look, you, you walked that important line, which is not yep. lying.
0: No, no, <laughs> but, exactly. But, but being getting a damn job. That's right. Well, I mean, there was a headshot involved. to give you an idea. But um, but yeah, I mean, I found my way up there and and climbed and sat at the feet of masters and learned from people who had been doing it for decades themselves and and you know came to Charlotte with a head full of ideas, you know, came moved here as a 30-year-old, um, 31-year-old. Um ready to run a nonprofit, ready to take everything I'd learned and and cut my teeth in in this, you know, large metro and to bring it to bear and to here, you know, right as the recession was uh, take gripping the city in 2008. And, um, you know, there were no jobs. There was no role for me in the nonprofit sector. You know, people I I envision people taking interviews with me. Uh, Do you remember that um, there was a, a salsa commercial? Where they said New York City, it was the rope. rope That's right. I <laughs> so felt like <laughs> I was that guy. I was the guy. I basically felt like every interview I went into, they were looking at me like, you're from Mars. You know, you don't have a local network. You don't know anybody here. You learn best practice in New York City. That's great for New York City. What does it say about Charlotte? What's happened here amazingly post recession for nonprofits has really been. To recognize how much we need best practice. That ultimately, the recession happened to us, and we lost a lot of that. The major gifts we lost a lot of how we did business as nonprofits pre-recession. And so, I found my way into consulting really, and it was the perfect path in. You know, I, I, I was I was a best practice guy who'd learned how to do things uh, in new and different ways, and was in a city that suddenly had interest in that. It's so funny. People that interviewed me in 2008 have hired me as a consultant, (laughs) interviewed and passed on me. Let's be clear. Right. Interviewed me multiple times, hired somebody else. Now hiring me years later to be a consultant to their organization. Like that's a pretty unique arc. Right. That it's not often that you see the person that you you uh, dismissed out of. A search um, come back to you as a uh, you know a, a paid consultant to work with your board and to and ultimately to to take change management to your organization. So it's a really unique arc. I, I can't uh, you know I've, it's been kismet. Things have happened, but a lot of work. So to your point, Tim, sort of what happened? Well, I started a company. You know, first I worked for a a a, a consulting firm, and then I started my own consulting firm. So I have took this kind of nonprofit background, this, this experience of having worked and learned through uh, working in best practice environments uh, and having never worked in the private sector uh, and then took that into the private sector and then started a company. And in doing that, I sort of married, I found this path to social enterprise that we're really is what we're talking about, you know, helping nonprofits be more entrepreneurial And to think when you say think like businesses, it's also think like startups, you know, think like think like uh, like the iterative um, organizations that they can be, you know, and to not be what we always sort of cast aspersions at the blue chip organizations that have this kind of way. They've always done it, that the emerging organization, any organization can adopt a kind of human centered design, can be more entrepreneurial, can be more enterprise uh, driven. Uh, so we're doing that ourselves as a firm, but we're also—it's—it's kind of neat to find the middle between a you know private sector company and the nonprofit model that there actually are shared um, values and 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 uh, marketplace there, uh, and that's really what we've finally been able to turn the page on uh, to to be able to make that sort of system come to life.
1: You know, to connect those dots, though ideas you've seen it and you just described it ideas and personalities and different perspectives on things take a while to come to fruition, right? So if it took 10 years for that person that passed on you to then hire you, In that time, they saw things have changed. You know, we like to think that that we're going to find this key that's going to once we know the secret, right, all all credit to Oprah, that that everything will line up and the world changes around us. And, you know, I think one of the things that um, that we saw in the last year is the organizations that were really married to this is how we've always done it they were gargantuan you know they really had a hard time going how can we switch to how can we switch to remote how is fundraising going to work how is how's our mission going to work and i know of and i'm sure you know of of nonprofits that had their best year ever last year because they embraced okay. you know they embraced a more entrepreneurial innovative spirit and we know then that Whatever we're doing today, that's not work. that's working. It's not going to be working in five years. So one of the things that you and Kaylin and your entire team do is you get people looking further down the road and say, focus on on what you do and what you bring and what your ingredients are and not so much on the how you do it. Don't get married to the system, you know, keep your eye on your mission, but figure out new ways to deliver that mission and value it and explain it to other people.
0: Yeah, and it's complete vindication, you know, to have started this firm seven years ago with an eye towards working with, you know, emerging organizations. So, first of all, why why do that? I I, I don't recommend uh, to a lot of people start a business and choose the organization with the least who can't pay to you pay you to do, <laughs> to do any work. <laughs> you know, I might as well have you know. Anyhow. Um, the idea that there was uh, an argument for emerging organizations in a city like Charlotte uh, came a little bit out of having worked, you know, uh, in consulting, having been, you know, the well-paid consultant to do a process, and the organization just burns the the, the strategic plan at the, as you walk out the door uh, of of what I call being a barnacle on the side of social good. That's where you're, you're a consultant, you're a contractor, you know, it's all the negative stuff we hear about consulting, the empty suit who comes in, tells you what you want to hear, you know, writes up a deliverable, puts it in your hand, and then it collects dust because it was, had no value to the organization. You know, I I found myself questioning whether I could do consult. I I either needed to go back to nonprofits or I needed to find a way to be a consultant that could be true to myself uh, because my first tastes of the private sector, suggested I needed to trade somehow these values and guiding principles that guide me. I was somebody who had been forged in social good and then sort of thrust into a model of of, uh, delivery. What I learned over those years uh, was how to be a consultant. I learned the process and art of it and science. Uh, And so when I started Next Stage in 2013, it was, I understand kind of the the concepts of what it is to consult but what sort of consulting firm do I want to start and what do, what's my life's work what do I want to do with that and that i believe i ascribed to the 10,000 hours concept that you know i'd done my 10,000 hours as a consultant but now it was what do i what do i want to do what does it mean to be a, a business owner with my own shingle you know my own this is my name on the on the line what what do i believe in so i did 10,000 hours on that and came to the conclusion of, now I kind of understand what I what I care about. Now, the next 10,000 hours is, what do I want to do with it? How do I want to deploy this? I, I believe in something now. I have a I have a, a credo. I have a, uh, a manifesto of impact I want to make. What do we do with that? And then it was, let's assemble a super team uh, to come around me, because this isn't, you know, Next Stage is called Next Stage Consulting. It's not my name because we're really a a coalition of intelligent, cause-minded people coming together. Kalen Haldeman, you mentioned, who runs Cultivate for us. That's our incubator for emerging organizations that Tim and Matt with Charlotte is Creative were uh, participants in. Kalen was the first, you know, teammate. It was like, uh, I really do think of it, you know, as a, uh, as a comic nerd. It, It was like wonder, you know, wonder twins or, you know, pulling together the, the, um, the super group, you know, it's like super friends coming together. And now we've got, uh, Janet Irvin on the team, Tanya Veronelli on the team, Candace Latham on the team. We are, we are a powerhouse group of people who all are kind of now rowing that boat that was kind of lonely out in the sea is now, you know, we're all have an oar and we're all uh, pulling together. Um, so that was really important that this next 10,000 hours is about realizing the potential. Uh, and a lot of that came from trial and error. A lot of that came from starting a business and and realizing, you know, what's the best way to live, feel good at the end, you know, have the warm fuzzy at the end of the night.
1: Well, I, you know, and to that end, would you, you know, thinking about what you really do? You're right. That word consultant can be tainted sometimes because there are people that that are perfectly OK with showing up, getting paid a ton of money and give, handing you something full well knowing that they're, that it's going to end up filed away and never, never used. And I, I, knowing you, you wouldn't be able to sleep that way. I, would you think you're, are you a consultant first or would you say you're an advocate first? Because I really feel like you're here not only to help change individual nonprofits, but the game in general and advocate so that it's really, there are so many different ways for nonprofits to do their work the work of social good but also sustain themselves and it's not a one-size-fits-all give me money just because enterprise right
0: yep yeah i mean we dropped consulting from our name uh it's still our, our you know sort of legal name next stage consulting but we actually dropped it from our brand we're just next stage in part because we didn't feel like consulting really accurately described who we are we do have this incubator, this, this uh, you know, philanthropy funded program we run like a nonprofit. We use a fiscal conduit for that. Um, the Children and Family Services Center serves as our fiscal conduit for Cultivate. Uh, that's unique. You know, most consulting firms don't have a, an incubator. Um, we, we function more like an institute. You know, if we think about kind of what institutes are in community they're often attached to academia or to philanthropy or, you know, they're out some... We aren't attached to or affiliated. In fact, a lot of what we do, this thought leadership work that we do is unfunded. <laughs> you know, it's the wonk who decides uh, to undertake things because, you know, we believe it's right or because we believe it deserves its time in the sun. Um, but it's not, it's not because we're getting paid to do a lot of this work. We're, we're doing things that we believe is right. And building this team was really about building a team of people who believe in that. Um, So we dropped consulting and I don't see myself as a consultant first, although there is a part of my work that is. I'm a consultant for hire. Nonprofit organizations hire our firm to engage in executive search, resource development planning and execution, strategic planning, board retreats, staff design, you know, lots of the kind of management consulting in the nonprofit sector. That's... Right now that pays the bills, you know, that's that's who does pay us uh, Our uh, organizations that uh, believe in our ability to come in and facilitate that sort of process, but not as neutral facilitators. They're also hiring our experience. They're hiring our point of view. They were, you know, we, we are careful of who we work with because we're not a brand for everybody. You know, not every organization is going to. I, I've done that work. I've been, you know, the ill-fitting shoe, right? To someone who wanted just someone to tell them what they wanted to hear. And that's not us. So uh, we we have a brand, we have an identity, we call ourselves a social enterprise company. So we actually see ourselves as like other social entrepreneurs, you know, the next stage is work is with and through our clients. So we are working with your organization to help it achieve. But we're also trying to work through your organization to, to get at the community we want to see. Um, and that's that's a, sort of an a important part of our identity. But going forward, I mean, as you know, you were part of a meeting last week where we uh, talked to some nonprofits about flipping the script again. You know, it's we'd like to hire your nonprofit. We don't want to be hired by your nonprofit. We want to hire your nonprofit to implement, um, you know, engagement activities that companies want you to do. Uh, and we want to be a part of the brokering of bringing uh, these companies that desperately want social good to show up in their community. I mean, this year of all years in the year post pandemic or as pandemic continues, but in the year of the pandemic, in the year of the fight for social justice, you can't not have some lens on social good as a company in Charlotte. You just can't in our country. Our folks woke up June 1st after the murder of George Floyd and said, what are, what do we got? You know, what do we have that says that speaks to diversity and inclusion? What do we have that speaks to uh, how we how we care and realize, gosh, we we were caught unaware. Um, a lot of these companies are now reaching out and saying, you know, we need help. You know, this is this is foreign territory for us. Can you help us? Uh, so that idea that we could you know, someday help companies, you know, mm-hmm. broker relationships with nonprofits, that seems like a more uh, that that's that's the right fit for us. Um, yeah. yeah.
1: Well, it's the right fit for the companies, too, because I mean, you can look at it and say, all right, if, you, if you're if you got caught flat footed last year and you really didn't have you hadn't even de and I was not even something on your on your radar screen. There is no end of let's let's say it again, consulting firms that could, you know, that could jump in and say, yeah, we can help with that. Right. But it would be a very, in many cases, antiseptic or academic approach. Why not work with the nonprofits that have already been doing this work for decades and that have, you know, that are close to the ground, not up in a, in a, in a tower, you know, and, and that's that's where I think people get what you're trying to, to create.
0: Big time. Yeah. I mean, essentially what we're trying to suggest is that nonprofits can be vendors to companies. Just like you would think of another vendor like uh, we can let's say you have a, a challenge in your company. Now, here's an example. We talked to company leader. They they've been through a series of mergers. Their company has tripled in size in 16 months. And they are three different companies now all mashed together into one office building in South Park. And they're saying, you know, there's as successful as this has been this has also had a number of challenges uh, our our uh, values and guiding principles and, and corporate cultures were very different and we're trying to create a new corporate culture that company can do one of two things they could hire a a for profit company to come in that does culture building uh, and that company you know has trust fall exercises and has you know has a lot of, of tricks up their sleeve i want to argue that either you could hire them and Bring in some authentic nonprofits from the community uh, that could engage with that 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 uh, new new company that that those three uh, cultures converge and now create a new culture together. How might a nonprofit help to knit that? Or I might just argue that a series of nonprofits could come and do what that for-profit consulting firm could never do, which is bring authentic authentic yeah. uh, expression, and that's really what particularly next-gen employees, desperately want. They're living in, you know, in, in a windowless, uh, you know, <laughs> building someplace. They're, or the, or their proper, spare bedroom. Their spare bedroom now. That's right. But someday they're going to go back to, okay. you know, cubicle hell. And they are clamoring for some fresh air. They're clamoring for a feeling of purpose, a feeling of alignment with the community. They want to feel like their life has purpose and meaning and that there's some reason why they're here. And we believe that nonprofit organizations can be that breath of fresh air into a company, and that they can serve a number of things. Whether it's assisting with diversity and inclusion, uh, wellness. I mean, uh, coming out of this year, you know, in, emotional well-being is a huge issue inside uh, our companies. Uh, how could nonprofits be a part of helping? Yeah. Uh, nurture and bring a salve on uh, that emotional, that feeling of of, of of an emotional impact that we've had. Uh, employee engagement, recruitment, cause marketing. I mean, there's a number of things that nonprofits could be vendors of to companies if they were to just change their perspective. This is no longer a charity with its handout asking for a gift. It is a vendor of an experience that you're going to pay to come in and do this work inside your company. And the nonprofit wants to do it because it's also building community with your employees. It's a win, win, win all around our community benefits, the company benefits, the nonprofit benefits. It's not that far afield from what's already happening. Right. what's already something we understand, you know, the company that sends employees out to do volunteerism. It's already happening. We just have not ever talked about it above the table. It's always been kind of below the table. Right. We're not we're not we're still calling it a gift. We're still calling it a grant. We're still calling it corporate charity. We're calling it corporate philanthropy. Uh, But in reality, we need to start calling it what it is, which is uh, which is partnership. Right. It's a relationship. It's reciprocal. I think that's what what you
1: taught us and what changed our perception is the traditional model. And we've. At Charlotte's Creative, we joke around and call it the mother hen model, right? Or the the mother bird. You now they fly out and get the get get the food and then kind of regurgitate it into the into the mouths of the chicks, right? And and in that, what's the mother getting? Nothing, right? And and what? This really is is the the commodity or what people crave now is connection, connection to each other, connection to authentic experiences. And what you've talked about is if you bring that if you bring that consultant in and they do a, a workshop with Trust Falls, you know, and then it's over, you're maybe connected to a notion or an idea, but you're no closer to that connection to each other or to the cause, the people that are served by that cause, that social good if you partner with say, you know, let I'm just going to throw it out, like the do greater foundation, right. You are one degree, if not zero degrees away from the people that, that William McNeely and his team serve, yeah. you can have, you are then in connection and in relationship and in covenant with the people that are around you. And that's what, that's what you're doing. That's what and you're it,
0: doing. There's a continuation uh, to, to do greater uh, as an example, uh, There's a there's an opportunity for a continuation. You've flown your your culture builder third party in from New York to come to Charlotte to do your trust fall exercises. They get back on a plane and go away. Here is William McNeely building and and this new facility idea, uh, you know, that he's realizing Shiloh. Yeah, Shiloh. There's going to be a uh, there's going to be a place right down the road, you know, a mile that way from your company. Where William and his team who've come in to engage with your employees, now those employees can go and right. see what was was catalyzed inside the workplace is now showing up. It's an ecosystem. And if we right. think of this truly as an ecosystem, <laughs> uh, a local, hyper-local ecosystem, uh, we can tap into the the what has been here all along. See, that's that's right. what's amazing is there's nothing new about what we're describing here. This is the, the Eureka moment is really about uh, recognizing the tremendous assets we've always had and right. just have been underutilizing. utilizing. Uh, and if we can activate that, the, the the sheer amount of human capital and financial capital and social capital, trust capital, thought capital and creative capital, all those things, that capital that we. We have tremendous capital in this. community, And then we say, why why are we 50th out of 50 in economic mobility? Why are we having these challenges? To me, it's just a function of how we deploy what we got. This is not we're pining for some somebody come save us. You know, it's the big grant from the Microsoft uh, from the Gates. That's not going to more money isn't going to fix it. Rewiring social good in our community. That's what's going to transform the Charlotte experience. And I want to say Charlotte is creative is post child for that i mean i, I in many ways you've gone out and, and made the case uh that so many organizations are now walking in your footsteps
1: well thank you so if your paste picante sauce were your white paper we your your walking white paper then <laughs>
0: that's
1: right um I, you know, see it. <laughs> I think i mean it's it's also the you know the term social capital and we've talked about it um Many times before, I, I wish we could eradicate it because pe- when you were use capital, people fall back on a financial relationship, right? They see yep. you've got a hundred dollars. If you give me a hundred dollars, you no longer have that hundred dollars and I have it, you know, and this, what you're describing with social good and with the capital that Charlotte has everywhere is both sides of the transaction win. it's reciprocal, it's not you give from your excess to us and you did it just because. You give it, you, you apply resources or the company applies resources to a social good entity that then in turn does something powerful and meaningful and valuable for that organization. Both halves, every community here, whether they've got money or not, has, has capital, has social capital and, and resources and are equal partners in a relationship like that. Yep.
0: Yep. Everybody has something to add, you know, and I think that's the that may be. you're exactly right. When we unleash the potential, every person has intrinsic uh, worth and, and, um, and something to offer uh, even, and especially the people we serve. So when we think about what's what the, the power that's actually in community uh, that's at the grassroots level, you know, we really believe in community based organizations and the work that's happening in community this last year has really unveiled you know the need that we have that you know we're not going to be saved by 100 big or agencies to your point 90% of resources go to the top 100 125 organizations in charlotte you know, if if that was getting it done, we wouldn't be where we are, right? You know, right. there was keep doing it the way you've always done it and expect a different outcome, right? Well, probably not going to happen. It's going to be from doing new things. The new things, though, in this case are not the it's not the strategies, but it's the assets that exist. It's right. recognizing that these assets are just sitting right there, ready to be activated. We've had so much creativity in this community uh, now, Charlotte is Creative is helping to give it a, a frame, give it a way for us to understand it as an asset, to under, to measure it, right, to to really appreciate it and to think, what could we do with it? That's true in, of trust capital. That's true of, um, you know, all the different capitals that we have in our community. We, we need to spend more time talking about the other capitals, less time talking about financial capital. Right. Because having money, our city has a ton of money. I mean, the reality is Charlotte is awash in revenue. If it was just money that got stuff done, we would not, we would be leading, we'd be the most economically mobile community in the country per capita. We are a affluent city. Gosh, money's not actually what's holding us back. Well, even looking back, back all all to
1: 2008, like what you talked about earlier, it wasn't that bad. You know, people weren't getting promotions and they, you know, they weren't getting hired and it wasn't great for everybody, but it, but comparatively to the rest of the country, it wasn't that bad here, but I do. But to your point, if we persist in thinking of everything as, as money, that's how you get the Crescent and the wedge. And right. if we looked at it as social capital, human capital, but human potential experience, resources, and authenticity, there would be no Crescent and there would be no wedge. It would just be one big pot in Charlotte. Yep. And we, and we wouldn't have to, you know, worry about companies saying well do i really want to in you know give money no invest money in the social in the creatives and the social good and that will give a return for you that will make charlotte more attractive to the employees you're trying to get and the employees you're trying to keep and and this gives us a a segue into what you're doing next which i think is great what we've described a second ago is a very gen x very um uh, boomer way of thinking about the world and and millennials and Gen Z get slagged off by older people like the the two of us. Right. In our generation of saying, oh, they're lazy. They don't do it the way we did it. No, they don't. And what they're looking for in their life experience, particularly Gen Z, is not the same. And these these experiences that a company could give them this connection to their community has tremendous value in the way that a, that a bonus or, a you know, a, a, a mixer maybe would have for older generations. So talk a little bit about not only the work you're doing there, but the data collection you're trying to do so that you can convince yep. older fogies that these organizations that they need to invest differently to grow their younger employees, the future of their companies.
0: That's right. Well, thank you for teeing that up because we are in the midst of a big uh, surveying uh, activity to, you know, there's been a number of, of trends that have uh, led us to 2021 as being the year that could really unleash this potential. Uh, one, the, the pandemic, the fight for uh social justice and racial justice in our community, as, as horrible as those have been, the silver lining is that they, they have created opportunity, created uh, a microscope on our community to, to look at it differently. The other huge trend is generational. You know, as we think about these companies and what is changing, what's changing is the workforce. What's changing is the role of the millennial and Gen Z in the workforce. More than half of the workforce is now uh, millennial and Gen Z. Uh, and they are being changed, whether they, you know, are fighting it or not. Some are embracing it, some are fighting it. But the reality is, every company is trying to figure out uh, these audiences. There's no, we say, there's no book written. The good to great book hasn't been written yet about how to engage the millennial as a, as an employee. We are trying to add our uh, special sauce into the world with the uh, report that we're working on, and a big part of that is asking. Uh, local millennials and and Gen Zs. Hey, what do you want out of your workplace? What do you want about where you work? What 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 is important to you? And as a consumer, what what brands do you align with, and why do you align with them? We really want to understand what's happening here because we know from we know the outcome. We know that the change that's happening. We know the disruption. In fact, the the brand on Millennial was negative for so long because it was about the disruptive nature and how it was, it was challenging to these institutions. And now it's the other way around. People are seeing it as a wellspring of, of strength. Uh, and we want to help these you know, older generations embrace what is, again, an asset right below them. You know, the, the, in their company is is a workforce that desperately wants them to unleash their heart and their their desire for cause. Um, so, the survey we're doing, uh, we're running through uh, through early March, uh, is focused on trying to get. We're trying to uh, secure a thousand uh, voices to you know give us some uh, indication of you know what do you want uh, out of your workplace and uh, and your brand alignment.
1: And and that I think is going to bear out. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to put a 10 spot down on that's going to bear out everything that you've been saying. And I, I applaud you too, because we are a business town and numbers have weight. So f- we can talk in soft terms all day long about the merits of social good or the merits of creativity and how it builds that ecosystem and, and paint a picture of what it would be like. But it's all very soft. You know, you can say, You know, what if, what if nobody was playing stages and what if there were no murals going up and what, you know, and what if there were no William McNeely or Sheriff Charlotte to, to innovate, but having numbers around what that mat what that means, that's going to make differences in boardrooms and in how decisions are made, how, how those financial resources are allocated and, and then you'll have real strength to prove out your concepts. Right. I mean, we have to embrace that, that data driven culture.
0: Absolutely. What we call evidence-based, you know, we need evidence-based to prove this exists and is real. And I think we're getting there.
1: I don't, I think doing it earlier would have fallen, not only on deaf ears, but you know, you needed to, we needed to lay that groundwork. First. And and so that brings me to my last question, which is when you spoke at Creative Mornings on the topic of divergent. You know, you you took a very divergent path. You talked uh, a lot about um, trees and branches and the way that twigs and and the 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 branch will divert into different directions, and that sometimes we get caught up in the direction in which we're moving and not the destination. Um. So my last question for you would be, you talked about the buds for you when you're ready to lay down your plowshare, what bud are you looking forward to?
0: Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, at the end of the day, um, what we're, we're looking for is fulfillment. You know, I think that's true for our team. That's true for, uh, you know, I am also, I'm a, that swing between the Gen X and, and millennial, the ex-genial uh, I'm trying to find a place where I, I'm doing purposeful work that I can be proud of, uh, and I believe that if we all were doing purposeful work that we were proud of, our community would be transformed by it. And so I want to recruit others uh, into the same warm fuzzy I have um, that I know that I've put I've lit, put it all out on the field. You know what? When I go to bed at night, I don't I don't question whether uh, I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, uh, and I hope. For everyone, I I hope that's that's I have found fulfillment through that. I want that for every person. Tim, I remember you deciding Charlotte is creative was going to be your your work, your life's work, and that you were going to quit a job and start this job and to be able to sustain yourself in it, and how hard it is. I mean, we work. So I, I work harder now than I ever did in my life. <laughs> I'm a hard worker. Uh, but do I feel that I have purpose? Do I feel fulfilled? You're damn right. And I know you do, too. And I know that what we want is for everyone to feel that no matter what career, no matter what profession, no matter what title, no matter what, that you feel that what you're doing in Charlotte is leaving a mark. Uh, And if we all did that, gosh, imagine that may be the fulfillment capital of being able to really fulfill uh, our souls, you know, in in connection to each other and trying to make a great place to live.
1: Well, that's that's where I want to go. And I can I can confirm that there are many days you're a persuasive man. So there are many days that during the day I shake my fist and go, Josh Jacobson, put me here and there. But at every night when I put my head down, I think this is what I meant to be doing. So for that, I thank you. And for the people that are listening again that don't know you, you know, Josh Jacobson, so, somewhere in your life in Charlotte, it's being affected by an organization or an individual that josh has has given counsel to or encouraged or supported or shifted their perspective um let's do this again in a couple of years josh because i think it's going to be a very different landscape and you're going to be one of the architects of that landscape so thank you
0: tim thank you thanks for
1: having me on the program all right Thanks to Josh Jacobson for speaking with us. And more importantly, thank you, the listener, for tuning into The Biscuit Podcast. That's all the time we have for today's episode of The Biscuit. Remember to subscribe to The Biscuit Podcast for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please leave us a rating and a review so that other creative charlatans can hear about us. Or better yet, just tell them yourselves. Finally, get the scoop on Charlotte's creative scene delivered straight to your inbox every week by subscribing to the Biscuit email newsletter. Do that now at BiscuitCLT.com. The Biscuit CLT podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, produced by Tim Miner, Matt Olin, and Andy Goh of Gojo Studios. Music by Harvey Cummings.